Hi, you're listening to Track Changes, the podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio at 101 Fifth Avenue in New York City. My name is Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of Postlight. And I'm Rich Ziotti, the other co-founder of Postlight. And today we thought we would talk about... Well, tell me what Postlight is, Paul. Thanks for catching me out there. I I always forget. Really quickly. We don't want to bore everyone. We build web things and internet things and uh, platforms, things that you can build on. So you come to us and you say, I want to build an app. And we go, all right, well, let's talk about that. And then we figure out that you really actually need to build something a little different. Yeah. We strategically put it together for you. We design and we think about user experience, and then we go ahead and build the damn thing, That's right. which is unusual to have all of those talents in one place. Yeah, you often will never have a single PowerPoint during your entire relationship with us. That's true. You know, there, we won't do that. And yet it's still a good relationship where all parties are happy. Yeah. yeah. It's all alive. It's a living document, the entire project. Code. Code is alive. Design is alive too. You shortchange design when you explain us, Paul. That's probably very true. I need to stop doing that. We've got some very talented designers. All right, enough with this very enough about us. Yeah, ambiguous advertisement. Let's, yes, we were talking at lunch about voice, Alexa, Siri, all that stuff. Yes, and bots. Yes, and I thought it'd be interesting to kind of bring everybody into the crazy world of just us talking about products. Yes, and take them on our journey. Product beyond point and click. Yeah. Just I think that's that's what we want to explore here today. Because the reality is that for all we try to make things concrete and put them in people's hands and make them clickable, we live in a world of complete abstraction in which everything is fungible and it's very confusing. Yes. So I want to bring people into that world. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Do you use a lot of voice stuff? No. Not a lot. I wouldn't say a lot. I don't use Siri. I, it's turned on on my phone for some reason. Every so often, this British guy says, what's wrong, Rich? You know, can Something we, like that. Actually, it's been many years of Siri, and it's not good. I just, uh, I never latched onto it. I, I, wonder, I wonder if there are people who, like, can't live without it. I've not I'm sure, met anyone. I'm sure there are. I have five. Maybe if we drove more, we'd have more of a relationship with it. I have five-year-old kids, and they're bored of Siri. Mm-hmm. Like, they wanted to talk to it for a while, and now they're like, eh. Well, it's very safe, right? I mean, if you had to meet Siri for drinks, right, at that speakeasy a few blocks from work, that is going to be a really lame hour and a half. That's right. Really lame. It's terrible. So tell it's me true. what's really going on, man. After the second drink, tell me what's going on. And he just wants to tell you tomorrow's forecast. Yeah, some Siri is just... Um, it's a boring human being. Sorry, an, Rich. I'm afraid I didn't get that. Right. You know, the fact that Siri is tied to a... Software license agreement pretty much sums up the series of the world and yeah. the Alexas of the world. That they cannot possibly carry any liability with any advice they give, right? Right. Like if they sell, tell someone, uh, you don't need to wear slippers, and then someone goes and cuts their foot, Amazon will be sued because Alexa gave bad advice. Like things like that drastically limit what they can do, right? Because they have to think about all the different sort of points of liability with this thing giving you a piece of advice. Because it's closer to human. You could do it in an app, right? But for some reason, because it's talking to you, you could tell the old lady, like if the thing Wait, gets unplugged by mistake. Back, back this out for yeah. me. You, what are you talking about with liability? Like, I didn't notice, I haven't thought about this aspect. I think what Siri can do, right? And the things it can say are quite limited because of uh, legal concerns. For example, uh, if I tell Siri, Siri, I'm really down today. 
what do you think I should do? And Siri actually gives advice there. Like, like Siri says, kill yourself. N- not even. Or Siri says, hey, why don't you take a shot of whiskey? Or, or Siri says, like, a nice hot bath and a razor blade. <laughs> Whatever. Or, or Siri asks you what floor you work on. Yeah. And, and, and then, then, actual- then suddenly, like, does the equation for mass and velocity to let you know how hard you'd hit the ground if you jumped from the building? D- yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's actual advice, so it has to play it safe. Siri has right. to like play it safe, essentially. Also, it's hard. It's a hard problem. Like it, they don't have the machine learning slash AI. To, well, you know to what's funny is that through. voice recognition is pretty good overall. Pretty good, I have to say. It's gotten real good. It's, and and the, the I don't know what they call them near field microphones. Listen, they're incredible. I was around for the days of Dragon Dictate. This is a different world. Oh no, the way it can hear you from across the house. Yeah. And you could, you could be really vo- low volume. It's actually incredible. So what's fascinating is the computer has figured out what we're saying. It's been able to – it can translate, you know, phonemes into text from across the room. Right. But it can't figure out the meaning. Still can't do it, right? And right. so, like – and there's still no semantic model that's, like, just exactly yeah. right where it can go, oh, I know what you want. Yeah. So my kids can ask for, like, show me a picture of a pink unicorn. Right. But I'd rather just – like, I don't have a relationship with Siri. Now, do you use Alexa? We use it. Uh, I got it wired to Spotify, which is convenient. You could put music on. What do you um, say? You say Echo. I use Echo because my little girl's name is Alex. Oh, so you had to rename it? You could name it Echo or or Alexa. Ah, that's a, some so, good choices. So we say Echo, play uh, Daniel by Elton John. How, how often do you say that? Daniel? Yeah. A little too often, Yeah, probably, probably pretty often. It's a very good breakfast song. It's great. It's a nice song. El- nice to wake up to Elton John. So the plugins, like I got it pl- I got it wired to my thermostat. So I can actually say Echo set the thermostat to 74 and it'll actually turn on the heat. It's pretty cool. Okay. So, um, you're, so we're consumers of voice products. So you're, you more than me. You've allowed it to control your home and life. And we can go has, days without talking. Has a relationship thing. with your children. Okay. But it's handy. Okay. Um. There was an article recently about how it's doing a poor job of teaching kids manners. You don't say please and thank you to Echo. And the kids are talking to this thing, and they're thinking this is the way the world works. You just tell people to do things. Yeah, you know, kids, you know what kids aren't that great at? Mostly manners. Generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that this is a real endemic problem in our society, that kids yeah. aren't saying please and thank you to robots enough. Right. But it's like, if I can get my kids to say thank you without reminding them, I'm yep. pretty happy. My children have a reputation for politeness, and they're terrible at politeness. Mine too. Right? Like other You're people very are like, diligent about it. Yeah, other people are like, your kids are polite, and 99% of the time they're not. So, Well, they'll sort this out. Yeah, right? I know. They're four-year-olds, and we need them. So the, the, the way you get the, it to learn other things via Alexa, the Echo product, is you add what are called skills. Like out of the box, it didn't know how to connect with my thermostat. So you would actually auth into the thermostat app. And link up the Echo with the thermostat up. Just so, even saying that, you know how screwed up that entire process is. Exactly. It's a messy Let it's me a messy auth process. into my thermostat app? That's right. Oh. That's right. Now, what would be so interesting... So I can talk to my thermostat. Imagine a keep the marriage together skill. Like Echo detects that you haven't spoken to your wife in two days. Or that you're speaking constantly. Or the, or the volume level is very coming high. out of the kitchen is a little too high. And it says, why don't you settle down and have a cup of tea together or something? I'm calling the marriage counselor. 
<laughs> it just dials one up. Dials a machine. Yeah. Hi, guys. What's another skill that would be really... Oh, Alexa could do real well with you opening the fridge. Hey, what you doing? Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, Alexa could... Again? Again? Again, Paul? Huh. Dinner was just an hour ago. <laughs> That's a definite Alexa skill. Yeah. Uh, Alexa could – well, you know, Amazon has put a camera on Alexa now, and they're going to look at your clothes and tell you if you're wearing – See, we're, you're we're, we're getting to a weird place, right? We're going to – hey, you've put on a couple of pounds there. I don't know if those pants are going to work for you anymore. Yeah. Why don't we get you some bigger pants? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's – it's funny. It's it's interesting. The, the, technically, it's fascinating. There have been articles written about how they spent months just reducing, cutting a second or two off the response time. Sure. It's really, really well, impressive Amazon stuff. can do that. That's what Amazon does. It's what Amazon does, and they've done an amazing job. And everybody's on it because they think it's the future. So Microsoft has one. I think it's called Cortana or something. Anyway, they're interesting. Um, there, There's a part of me – I think there's a part of us generally – that subconsciously draws lines around where tech is allowed to go. I've always been fascinated by the way Bluetooth headsets hit a wall. Well, because they looked ridiculous. The people, things get over that wall. People who use cell phones, the first group of people who use cell phones were terrible. They were the big, like the big brick, the Gordon Gecko. Or brick. even the, like the original Motorola StarTax. Yeah. That it's, was cell phones. But there's, I think, Bluetooth loss. The Bluetooth headset loss. I don't think it's going to turn. Like, they, they, people still wear it. Like, the sales guy still wears it. Yeah, I it. know. The little, like, little tag in the ear. The problem, first of all, Bluetooth sucks. For, this is not a technical issue, I want to talk about Bluetooth no, for a second. No, we, can't, we I, can't veer off into Bluetooth. No, really? Because why don't we take 45 minutes and try to connect to a speaker? This is an interesting psychological, social, I can't make a, I can't make a clear phone call, and I can't connect to Jesus, Bluetooth speakers. Here we go. Here we go. So this is exhausting. Connecting a Bluetooth speaker is something you have to negotiate. It is a very painful process. You know what else? Uh, any of the free public Wi-Fi services or the ones that are connected to like your cable provider in the city? Yeah. Also a nightmare. Yeah. You just literally, I leave my house, I turn off Wi-Fi immediately. Yeah. Because someone's going to try to help me and it's going to like ruin everything. Yeah. And then there's that, there's that router that always reaches outside. It's like the DG6. Oh, yeah. What is that router? There's it's a just, couple routers. That just, it's the same thing over and over again, and it asks you the password when you're just walking down the street. It is so hard to connect things to other things. Little tiny worlds unto themselves, they're okay. But when you decide you're like, oh, I'm going to auth into my thermostat or I'm going to connect to this speaker, you can see that's where the whole system breaks down. Yeah. Everything that we talk about, everything we believe, all the product work we love, it's all great as long as you're in a box. Yeah. And then you try to draw that line between the two boxes, and you're utterly screwed. Apple works real, re like AirPlay is pretty damn elegant. Apple you, works real hard you know what to I'll try to make that easier. They're the ones who take it most seriously. They like do. The, there was, this is getting a little old school, but like at one point, Microsoft got very into the idea of plug and play. That was like a big feature yeah. in, in Windows. And, and so, because that was when you couldn't plug anything into anything. No. And, you know, you'd buy a printer and then they'd update Windows and that was it for your printer. You had to go get drivers. Yeah. And nobody understood what was going on. God, yeah. that's another thing to talk about. One day I would love to do a show that's just about like HP printer websites. Oh, it's unbelievable. Oh, and you're it? like, I have to download like a four or 500 megabyte They're driver. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, anyway. I just wanted to round this out by saying I think there is an instinctual reaction we have 
when technology goes a little too far. We're losing that battle with phones. Like you get on the train and everybody's head down on that phone. But here's what I would say. What, what else should they be doing? Look around you. Now, why? Who are you going to look at? Some guy who's, who do you, do you really want to make eye contact with someone on the queue? That's fair. That's like, fair. I mean, this is, a, we, we judge people for that. There's two ways. I'm to, really talking more about I'm meeting someone for drinks and we end up on our phones like six minutes in, which is so bad. Like, keep your phone. I think most people, I mean, I go out with you all the time. I think mo- we, we've kind of stopped it. We did. Like, most people stop it. You just, honestly, there's a little bit of an obligation to kind of keep the conversation up on both ends, too. Yeah, yeah, you can. You, I mean, specifically, you can bring it to a halt. Sometimes. Now, there are some people who you see their hand kind of constantly moving towards their pocket. Yeah, and they're, yeah. they're trying, and it's like, and they rarely are keeping their end of the bargain up because they just want to get back on that phone. You know, when it happens, like I'm, I'm hitting the restroom, and boom, within a second, uh, you're up. That phone is up and running. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I do think though that we are going to keep an arm's length for certain things that go a little too far, like these voice products like the Bluetooth headset, like Google Glass, which was preposterous looking. All right, so we have some boundaries there. I don't think we think about them, too. I think we just say, all right, look, this oh, is it's revulsion. silly. I need to go kick a soccer ball in the back. Well, this is what's tricky, right? Google Glass produced a feeling of revulsion. That's very hard to overcome. It's true. Even the motive force of Google's incredible access to marketing and capital was not able to overcome the situation that it created for itself with Google Glass. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's really, really hard when you're making stuff like that. Because, look, if Google had brought me in the room and been like, what do you think about this new Google Glass product that will augment reality? Almost invariably, I would have been like, wow, that seems really interesting. Yeah. Well, it is interesting. <laughs> yeah. right? They were like overlaying Google Maps and you right. could do all kinds of – it was and technically so, interesting. And right? you bury the part of yourself when you're building and assessing this stuff. You bury that part of yourself yeah. that would look at it and go, this is a terrible idea. People look stupid wearing it and it feels invasive and creepy. Eyes and eye contact – are a very primal, meaningful right. thing. Did anyone stand up in a meeting and say, you know, Sergey, <laughs> don't yeah. do this? Yeah, I don't. I mean, it was probably not. No, it, it ended up in a lab right. setting where it was a fascinating puzzle, right? And exactly. I think, I think the psychologists and the sociologists weren't brought in, and I think they learned a lot once they they, they went outside. So, so I think you know, voice is funny because it's it sort of found its place. People are very excited by it. It feels to me, I'll tell you what I think about voices, it's just another thing that's going to get absorbed into the larger computing substrate that surrounds us at all times. Yeah. Like Alexa right now is a big enough circle with a little speaker in it, but it's going to be either thumb-sized or built into your phonulator. It's in your lamp. Yeah, or like yeah. your headphones or whatever. Yeah. Just this moment where like voice will just kind of get layered into everything, and I think – it probably has some just some hard limits. It's like another it's like another mouse. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think we don't want it to really like we there won't be that demand to go beyond that limit. You know what's interesting is that the voice interface has made people suddenly conscious of how much computers perceive when they are just on and watching and listening. Sure. Now the reality is that's been going on for a while now. It's just that you you bought a disc home from the yeah. you know like a circle home from the from the circle store yeah. and you're looking at it and it has a little glow ring on it and it's a that's black right. device and it says things so you're like, "Whoa, wait a minute. It's been listening all this time." But that's, you know, in a non-auditory capacity, that's like what's been happening on the web when you move your mouse around on most <laughs> right. screens like right. like 
it's just the a, listening has been happening for a very long. Yeah, time. and everybody's like, "Oh my god, am I going to give Amazon all the data about what I'm saying in my home?" And yeah, you already like, have. You kind of have. Like when you use your computer, somebody's mostly watching that. Sure. You know, when you're 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 under observation at all times. Yeah, I think it's, it, that's a great observation. People just don't. It's just not been this obvious. Now, things like this come along. Let's change tack a little bit. Things like this come along where, hey, big new interface. First of all, everybody gets excited. Everybody gets like out of their mind. Oh, voice. Voice is the future. Yeah. Voice is, I mean, oh my God, this is it. No one's even going to use a screen anymore. People are just going to, their eyes are going to atrophy and yeah. their ears are going to grow to this toys. This was the same sentiment that arose from bots. Right, right, right. right. Like bots, gonna... Conversational interfaces, things come and go in our in our fad-driven VC-funded industry. Yeah. So like voice gets big or Amazon does something with voice and then suddenly someone's like, I'm going to create a $20 million fund that will invest in Amazon skills developers. Right. Right. Or in bots. Yeah. Or whatever. And... You know, a lot of times that isn't that twenty million dollar check doesn't get written, but like you know, a thirty thousand dollar check gets written out of the twenty million, mm-hmm. and people are kind of like floating around. Bitcoin was another one where like, remember all the all the Bitcoin yeah. startups? Like, where did they go? Yeah, very well funded some of them. Oh my god, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure you know, eighteen months, twenty four months in now, and it's like, huh, where yeah. is the bold future? Yeah. There's a couple things. There's Ethereum. And- it's funny how it trips up, right? It's not a bug. Yeah, it's a it's a social bug and it's a it's a psych, it's a collective psychological bug. That's right, because the the tech the technology is basically fine, but then people start to overpromise around it. Yep. So like voice will just kind of eventually nestle back into the computing universe that mm-hmm. it will surround us at all times. Yeah. Bots are okay, but you know they have this they actually have the same problem voice has, which is they can only recognize so much. It's just also I think people saw Slack and were just like, we got to ride the wave. Slack, I don't view as a bot. No, but I mean, it it created an environment for bot creation and consumption. But there's nothing, like nothing hit it out of the park. Here's the thing. Let's walk through it. Well, what could a bot do? Right. Very logical case for a bot, for example. I type in a stock ticker and I get the stock info, right? That Mm -hmm. sounds great. But guess what? I like the control of having a web browser going where I want to go and finding the information myself. Like it's not the leap you're giving me isn't a leap. Like it's all a click away. It's not that big a deal. The added value isn't there. It's just not there. Like the stock ticker is four character presses away. I don't need it to be a chat interface. There's an interesting thing underneath chat, which is that really advanced chat interfaces end up being these sort of declarative logic decision tree kind of platforms where those are interesting right except that i think that ultimately they're they're better expressed visually right here's what's interesting about bots and chats in this world and where i think that from a product perspective it gets kind of cool to go uh which is that thinking about chat interfaces forces you to think about sequencing of user actions and gathering input and data from users Mm -hmm. and that there becomes a kind of um and let me explain this term, declarative logic around how you're building the program. So a lot of programming is is you're kind of hanging around waiting for people to tell you what's going to go here and what's going to go there. And when we're talking about something that's more declarative, you're talking about kind of building a database and then maybe like the user interface is adapting to input as it goes along. And that is where chat is very interesting because I, I say I like dogs and suddenly it's off in a whole new direction. Yeah, and that's that can be interesting. That could be Kind of curious, but... What's interesting to me is UX doesn't do that as much. User experience visually doesn't adapt to information as much. It tends to be these sort of more holistic, larger boxes 
right, that people put stuff into. You get a you. It's like, oh, you like dogs? Well, this will be the animal window, and you'll put the animal in there. But it's yeah. not. The, suddenly, the browser doesn't suddenly become dog browser when you tell it that you like dogs. Yeah. What I'm getting at here, what I'm getting at is that chat and UX and so the, some of the thinking that's going into building the chat interfaces could start to have a visual expression and a sonic expression as well. Like you could start to, things could start adapting to users more. Yeah. That model could be there. Because right now, the overall design aesthetic is you create a very simple interface that's very, very predictable and logical and that it works exactly the same way every time. That's a good thing on apps. Like it, it cuts chaos. Yeah. But when you think about – I'm thinking about certain clients that we have where they have like hundreds of thousands of rules that drive their business logic. Mm-hmm. And you do weird things with the UX in order to make that uh, – make it possible for yeah. you know, people to fill out forms. Yeah. Like, and it, they're incredibly complex forms. That right? You could build a bot from that data. You could, but the thing is – that falls on its face, right? I need to see that inf- that pr- information needs to persist for me. It's not a conversation. When I do X, a whole other world of interface kicks in, and you can't ramble that off to me. Like it's just it's too information rich, right? Like I don't think it's solvable. I think of wizards when I think of bots. Like, hey, let's get you going. Oh, with There's not, seven not, steps. Not wizards with hats, but the like. Hey, yeah. you know, enter your name. We're gonna go through six steps and get you to here. And it's, it's uh, very linear. You can't really veer off. They're, set, they're setting you up, right? We need this information to get you going. Yeah, I think that that's the thing. Like, computers can do a lot more than that. Of course they can. Right? It's just the, tool, the tooling isn't there to do very adaptive things with how you react to people and gather data. No, I, I, exactly. Adaptive is the word here. Google is the best bot in the world. The URL box has been appropriated by Google. Yeah, that's as close If I to type in Venice, yeah. you don't just get search results. You get the top of search no, and it's, summary. It, it, it's, as clo- it's as close to old school AI as I've ever seen. Is that. Exactly. Like, you put in words and it knows all about all the things and it's very good at predicting intention. It's very good at it. It has and, a very good statistical model of mass aggregate human behavior and desire around yeah. knowledge. But right? it's one interaction is the thing, right? Oh, like, yeah, no, no. I mean, but you think there's probably more energy and time spent on that text box than on any other, like, UX. Massive. Yeah. Massive. Utterly massive. Like, if I type drug side effects, it's going to actually go and pluck the side effect. And, and I don't have to click through. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. And it goes on and on. No, you're looking right? at, I mean, 10, 15 years of just utter focus at this point more. Yeah. yeah. No, that, to me, is the most interesting. I don't want to go back and forth. I don't want to go say, hey, okay, well, that's interesting, but can you tell me about the really serious side effects? I don't want to. I've got it. Here's the tricky thing, though. Is I Google, want to go read the thing. Yeah, Google's got you trained, though. You know, kind of, we all have a good internal model of how Google works and, and how to use it and take advantage of it. But with new knowledge domains, it requires a kind of interaction. Like, you, you know, Google isn't great at, at gathering complex data from people. No. It almost doesn't want to, no, to I mean, go too far there. That's not its strength, right? No. It's the same liability issue that we're talking about with Alexa. Like, you're not, not even necessarily legal liability, but it's just it can only promise so much. And actually, I will say that's one thing. Google has gotten much better in its core product at sort of not over-promising. Yeah. Like, in the product, there's a lot of little clues and 
and things that communicate that some of its own imperfections. And when it oversteps, people flip out. Yeah. Right? When it gets the wrong picture connected to a person's right. name or, or like when people are able to sort of like push it to, you know, when there's like a racist picture shows up when somebody searches for right. something like, like it, it, it has learned the hard way. Is there a bot you can't live without? No. Is there a bot that you really think is cool and you love? I hate to say it because I love conversational interfaces. They're fun. But no. Nobody's, nobody's nailed it. So no, far. I think like um, – no, there isn't. Bots can be fun in a chat room, you know, and you can ask them to do things. And they and everyone, everyone can kind of talk to them. Like they're kind of fun as Tamagotchis. Yeah. You know, virtual pets. You know what's funny is that some – there are businesses out there. I'll give you an example uh, where they're almost – they're using humans to simulate – the bot. They're essentially trying to cut out, like for example, there is a, an app out there that is effectively a pharmacy doctor app. I did it. I had like a sinus infection, and I didn't oh, want to tell us about that. That's fascinating. Uh, are you being funny? No, I'm being funny. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought I had a I had a terrible like face headache, and I I said I don't I don't feel like going to a doctor. It's a whole process. I I just need my I like every few years it gets bad enough that I need antibiotics. So I installed this app. It asks me like 12 questions, essentially a wizard. Mm-hmm. What's wrong? What's going on? And it, it definitely had a tree logic to it. Okay. And then they said, okay, we're going to have a video call with you in about an hour. And this guy comes on and he's a doctor. He's been essentially what he does is he has a conversation with you about how you're doing because they can't just write you a prescription after like 12 questions. Mm-hmm. Like a doctor needs to sign the prescription. Sure. And... I have the conversation with him, and he's like, all right, we're going to put you on a five-day regimen. And that was that. And and it was great. It was really convenient. But, you know, the days of – first off, is a computer ever going to be able to write a prescription? Holy hell, right? Like, Honestly, within our lifetime, very very possibly. See, that's insanity. Why not? Why not? Just a sensible yeah. decision tree. It's going to be able to look at your skin and look at your – like – like there's a, a portion of medical care that is essentially where the doctor functions as a as a robot. Jesus. Are you going to be cool with letting Alexa check the rash on your leg by essentially taking Alexa and pressing it up against your leg? I, you know, I don't think if it's cool or not. I mean, I think it's like there'll be a point where, you know, the Journal of American Medicine is, says this works okay. I don't want to walk in on you and find Alexa pressed up against your leg but i think here's the thing right like it there might there'll be 10 years it's like self-driving cars there'll be 10 years where doctors have to review the legs photo they have to sign off yeah right right right. but it'll get less and less yeah there's a warby parker just came out with a an app that will determine your prescription it's a whole process you go through um it's still very early days but you go through again a wizard and then they make you put the phone at a certain distance and do a eye test it's pretty crazy and i I don't know how they're getting the answers i I didn't i couldn't go through it because if you're over 40 you can't do it they won't let you do it for they also you have to tell them what state you're in because certain states are not allowing it Mm -hmm. um but what they're trying to do is cut the doctor process because they they don't have doctors at all their retail locations sure so here we go right like again is a is an app going to determine my my eye prescription yeah see that's that's pretty crazy i think it'll be decision trees and it'll it'll just i don't know i mean they mean the doctors have all sorts of diagnostic software they use now 
Yeah, I guess. I don't see a way around that, right? Like we have, it's a, it's all the market forces align. Yeah. To make that happen, whether it's good for humanity or not, that's happening. Yeah. It is in everybody's best interest, given how completely we screwed the pooch on healthcare in our country, to create automatic systems. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree with that. And so I if mean, you can get that cost down to $10, then the insurers will give it to you for free. Like Aetna is going to end up investing in apps for this kind of monitoring and compliance. Just and to bring costs down. Absolutely, yeah. right? They're going to end up – you're going to end up with like Aetna owning startups yeah. around optimo- – you know – Skin detection. Yeah, that's right. Send me a picture yeah. of the skin blood tag. pressure at like they, they have them today. There's yep. a blood pressure tool that just is does Bluetooth to your phone, right? Of what how you're doing, and it logs it all, and you could take it to your doctor. And, and I mean, you know, we tend to articulate and talk about this stuff mostly in terms of privacy in the world of technology. Yeah, but I think when you think about it in like the larger global sense, it's nobody at Aetna is thinking about it in terms of privacy. Right. Right. Actually, you know, we're also we're in a first world country, like That's right. in in places where they would never get this kind of care to actually bring the cost down by three hundred, you know, four hundred percent is a big deal. Well, we have a, a system of health here where it's just so completely credential driven. But like, if you think, I remember there was during I might have been the sixties in China, there was a book called the Barefoot Doctor's Manual, and you would get that, and it would tell you had pictures like how to deliver a baby. And the, because there weren't enough doctors. Right. And there were a lot of people. So you had to get the information out. Sure. And certain people would take on responsibility. Right. And I think I've got that right. Like, I might have that story off. But it's, I remember going and looking for it. I had it as a kid. Like, I, for some reason, I had a copy of this book. And it, it was very hard to find any information about it. But I remember it very clearly. So you're going to transfer the information. And if you think about, you know, the blood pressure monitor that tells you how to adjust your life. Uh, in an Android app that runs in all countries, it's an incredible life-giving tool. Yeah, without okay. a doubt. So if you get the blood pressure monitor down to below a dollar and it runs on an Android smartphone that everybody already has and talks, God forgive me, through Bluetooth, yeah, you're probably going to save hundreds of thousands of lives. Probably. You know, and then on the flip side, we here in the first world, we tend to talk about how scary it is when Aetna, which is a terrifying company that doesn't know how to build a good website that provides my health care here at, at Postlight, we worry about what it's going to do with that data because it gets to track us our entire lives and we, there's no trust or transparency with who has our health data. I've got health data scattered all around the world, right? It's probably stored in, you know. Yeah. I mean, every time there you have to claim coverage. Right. They have the story. There's stuff about me and my body in databases in all around America, yeah. I'm sure. Right? But, so. yeah, I mean, that's good, no? It is and it isn't. Sometimes you think, but if you think about them taking away your health coverage because they're able to aggregate three or four data sources and do some data mining, it's not, it's not good. It's really bad. Data mining meaning you're too risky. Yeah. We want you off. Yeah, right. Right. And, you know, we're covered by our, our corporate care here, which gives us a buffer, but lots of I didn't have that for um, – Honestly, this is one of the first times in my life, except for when I was an editor at Harper's, that I've had stable health insurance. Right. Like, right. I had to start a company to get it. So well, you didn't have to start a company to get it, but no, I, I might, point taken. There are other ways I could have gotten yeah. it. Look, I, you know, the point I'm getting at here is just that it's, it's such a big subject. And so, like, there's no way to even find out half the time. Like, there's, I, there's probably somebody working on that blood oh, pressure no doubt. compliance they're, tool. They're starting to head in that direction because they see opportunity there. What we hear doubt. about are the ones that are purely money-driven. 
right? We hear about the ones that get $20 million and it's on crunch base. And, well, they and are money-driven. Some of them aren't. Some of the, I'm sure there's somebody actually thinking about the cheapest like way to Gates do... Like Gates Foundation grant to... That's the thing. Like, what are they thinking about blood pressure and Android, right? No, that's true. I mean, I, I think that's okay. I think good money-driven motivations led to tons of innovation. No, I'm not arguing against capitalism. No, it'll happen just, both ways. What I'm saying is, like, there's no... We get the news about these things sort of either filtered through a tech culture sphere lens, like, oh, my God, you know, this is going to be bad for privacy, right. or through a money lens, like, oh, they got $80 million in funding. This is a big right. deal. There's a whole other world where stuff is happening and people are using tools and coming up with new ideas that doesn't actually filter out because right. it's done with a, you know, a $200,000 grant from some biomedical science foundation. Right. All of that's fine. I mean, I- not just fine. I'm just like, I wish I knew more about it. Mm. Because that's the real world. Like, those things are going to come from behind, too. Yeah. That's probably where more disruption could happen than, you know, another VC-funded juice company. No doubt. At the very least, raising awareness so that, hey, you should get to a doctor. Like, it's not going right. to cure. It's not going to treat you at that moment. But it's like, hey, you know what? This test is a little iffy. Get to a doctor. Yeah, your little, your little phone buddy who yeah. keeps an eye on your health. Yeah, and that could be a bot. That could be Dr. Co- Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood. Feel good. No. Conversational interfaces probably are pretty good, especially like for kids See, that's and beginners. interesting, right? Like, so the health science and connected Internet of Things devices ecosystem is just a beast, man. Just a beast. Every time I go poking into it, I'm just like, there's another 50 million things I need to learn. Yeah. There's a lot of playing around think it's, happening right now. Well, I think at some level, like, you got to be mindful. We're in this world, right? Where we've got the graphical user interface and we create documents and we send Word docs back and forth or Google docs and we make websites and people put data into the websites and so on and so forth. And it's like we've kind of had this like information processing productivity interfaces run the world and control our culture thing going for 20, 30 years now. And I'm wondering as as the next 10, 15 years unfold – if the core computing experience isn't just like what's in your phone, but like the little thing you wear in your finger, talks to your phone, yeah. tells you kind of what, how much you need to, what you need to eat later in the day. Yeah. Um, Too much sugar today. You need a haircut. Yeah. Like it becomes, Are you cool with all that? It doesn't matter if I'm cool or not. I'm here to watch it. No, I, would you would you jump on? I guess what I'm asking more generally is, will there be a resistance? I, the point I made earlier was we re, we tend to resist at certain points. But again, you're thinking about this as a cultural movement, right? What will happen is that these people will will offer these tools, the you know, yeah. the haircut watcher device. Yeah, and it'll be something you plug into the wall next to your thermostat, and you'll right. auth into your haircut watcher, and every two weeks it'll be like, hey, looks yeah. like you need a haircut. Yeah, which you know you could have done a recurring event, but you spent one hundred and eighty dollars, right. and it was it was made by the you know it had the same guy who did Nest, so yeah. it tells you you got a haircut. Great, my my brother will buy any of these. Yes, things. your brother will buy any of these. I mean, things. we we had lunch with my brother, and he got a phone call on his watch from a guy who he was working with, and the amount of beeps and noise. your brother has an infrared camera that he plugs into his Android phone. Yeah, and it, it had some construction capacity that I didn't understand. He's like, "Oh no, yeah. I need this." I he need ha- this. and he has a, yeah, he has a pen with a HD cam- like video camera. Yeah, in it he's got a video like pen. It's anyway, really, so wait, look, look. The, the hair- <laughs> some will embrace these. It's things. not just that; it's that it'll be certain people and certain temperaments are fine with 
having a machine tell them they need a haircut every two weeks. But human beings get bored and tired of everything. And I mean, I'm a quantified self veteran. And I can tell you that certain things just stop working. Unless you're motivated. If it's your little buddy and you're like, oh, I would have forgotten that otherwise. Like if it's saying, oh, I need to go get that haircut. Yeah, boy, I I always forget. That's great. Let me go get that haircut. But if you just don't want a haircut, you're going to ignore the hell out of that thing. And then what's the point of it? Not only are you going to ignore the hell out of it, you're going to throw it out the window. You're eventually just going to be like, why well, stopped using the yeah, batteries I ran out. I didn't replace them. There's a list of stuff that's been tried. Yeah. Like the juicer story. You know this juicer product? Juicero. Like, Juicero, right? It was like people, it turns out it squeezed juice out of these packets, but it turned out humans could squeeze the same amount it's of a juice. big article in, in Bloomberg Business Week around this. And right. They just showed people squeezing the juice. Yeah. And it, it turned out to be much but, you know, honestly, it looked kind of good. It was a nice-looking juicer product. I mean, this somebody is the overreach, took, right? Somebody took it's it apart. Like, it's all aluminum inside. Yeah. There's a scale. There's a cooking scale that's like 1000 bucks, where it, like, it's tied to an app. So when you're weighing the different ingredients, it's, it's, it's reached a ridiculous place. I think right? there's a, there are fantasies around design. I think people – Apple has really – changed what is acceptable in the high end of the market. Right. And so there, it's not just that you can make a good-looking product, but you have to have a narrative around it, and everything has to be the very best. Yeah. And, uh, and people also just sort of vanish into their own asses. That that happens a lot. Yeah. And so I think uh, my prediction is a haircutting tool would fail. I, I think people think assume there are conveniences that, that people want that they actually don't want, and in fact will find them very annoying. And, and, and I think you'll see that a lot. Well, most people just want like good health and power and authority over their yeah, own environment. It's got to be a serious leap, right? right? So if you're think, you know, my big question when we're talking about product, my, I always frame it as like, what superpower does this give me? Yeah, right. Great and way to put it. The hair cutting device would never give you a superpower. Cell phones give you a superpower. They connect you to all of humanity at all time. All the information in the world is wherever it's you insanity, are. It's insanity, right? That right. window That's is That's an actual superpower. Like if you had – if you'd created a comic book hero in 1955 right. called, you know, Mr. Smarto and yeah. he could see everything and talk to anyone at any time. Right. And all the phone lines connected to him through a special wave that went into his brain. Right. It would be like, That's a cool comic book. What's Superman going to do to fight him? Right. Right. And then we have that in our pocket. So that is like a 1950s superpower – is a is a good metric for if something's going to explode or not. Yeah. All right. Well, we we nailed it down. I think we just solved Internet of Things. <laughs> really, came right here a lot in forty of, minutes. A lot of great conclusions. Yeah. This is a this show is a, a great way for people to see kind of how the sausage is made. Yeah. <laughs> this is what what it looks like when the wheel turns and turns. Yeah. I mean, this is the pain of product strategy, yeah. right? I just, mean, this is what you have to think. Just through have this and conversation solve. for thirty, forty thousand hours. And yeah. So, um, <laughs> my name is Paul Ford. I'm Rich Ziotti. You've been listening to Track Changes, the podcast of Postlight, a digital product studio at 101 Fifth Avenue in New York City. Uh, if you need us, God, how do you get in touch with Postlight, Rich? Uh, hello at postlight.com. You don't even have to need us. We love talking to people. It's so true. Feel free to email us questions, thoughts, comments, uh, inquiries, anything. All right. Let's get back to work. Take care, guys. Bye.